Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. We have no guests this week. Uh, this is our No Challenge New Year's Day 2018 episode. Uh, musings. musings. Musings, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, we will be back with a challenge on the next episode. Chris Riley, our previous guest, cooked up the next challenge for us, and that challenge is click training. And uh so in two weeks uh we will have our next episode out and we will be tackling that click training challenge with a guest mm-hmm. uh so uh stay tuned for that uh, otherwise we're just going to dive into um talking about the past year um the upcoming year and things that we want to do or do differently cue the music oh yeah i'll put the music after the intro Yeah, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, I have a couple of things. I was curious about what you've been up to over the holiday. It is the new year. It is, yeah. Happy New Year. Yeah. Uh, so we're coming up close to a year of working on this project. Yep. And this was our first time in like, I don't know, 10 months or something that we had, not not really a time off, but you know, we, on this particular episode, we don't have a specific challenge yep. to talk about. Yeah. It's definitely been a different two weeks than it normally is. Yeah, so so one of the things I was doing was kind of taking stock of the projects that I'm working on outside of Opposable Thumbs. Yeah. Um, and and the, the funny thing is that it actually winds up kind of feeding back in. So I, I'm doing a whole bunch of collaborations right now. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm working on, and I may have talked about each of these separately, but I'm working on an electronic badge, like the kind they have at DEF CON, um, with Nick Bontrager. So, of course, he was a previous guest. Yeah, on episode and then, three, maybe? Oh, geez, he was way early, yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, it made his own video game. Yeah, that was, that was pretty great. And yep. then um, I'm also working on more of the CNC etching that I developed in an early episode with J. Stephen Lee, yep. who is another former guest. Yep. Of course, I'm working on this thing with you. And then I've also got um, this project I'm finishing up where I'm learning. I'm trying to learn uh, better finish carpentry. Oh. So I'm making like a really refined uh, poplar jewelry box, essentially, that has a a flocked insert um, as sort of a bed for these silver forks that I made to fit down into. So, So there's one project that's a little more solitary but you know it's still being aided and abetted by all the great staff at the school where i work right uh, so so these are sort of but it, it's nice to finally have a head of steam i mean it, it took me really a full like eight months or something what with moving to a new house and all that to yeah. really get to the place where you know i'm going to talk to you one night and then i'm going to talk to steven and then uh-huh. nick and like it all kind of swirls around so, so that's been really satisfying getting all that going yeah that's great what are you working on what am I working on? One of the things I just did was I made a wooden spoon uh, mm-hmm. for as a holiday gift, which was super fun. It It is maybe my first or it's my second maybe what people would consider woodworking project, <laughs> you know? Well, only your second. I mean, I would say like as far as like woodworking, uh, traditional woodworking maybe might be the way I would put it, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. The first project I made was for my sort of brother-in-law, uh, John. Um, 
And the first project I made was a cutting board, like an ingrained maple cutting board for him. Your, your brother in common law? Yes, he's, he's my brother <laughs> in common law, yeah. And then my second project, I so in my family, we sort of pick names out of a hat. And ironically, both both years, I, I've gotten him. Um, I was like, oh, I'm going to make a spoon. And I had seen people make spoons with a bandsaw. Uh, Tim Sway mm-hmm. is this really cool YouTube person and really cool maker of neat stuff he's sort of a upcycling person but in this really much kind of more interesting and cool way and i saw him make a spoon with uh, you sort of use the bandsaw use the kind of back of the blade like once you've got your sort of general sort of jigsaw looking piece of spoon cut out if you run the piece of wood sort of backwards towards yourself but at a kind of 20 degree angle the teeth of the blade will um sort of sand off the edges oh sure and Mm -hmm. it's a really nice it works as a really nice shaper for something like a kind of hand shape you know the the curvature of a spoon um but then i realized like i don't have any tools to like gouge out the spoon part you know (laughs) um i had seen him use like a flap sanding wheel on a on a grinder to sort of do the general shaping Mm -hmm. and i started doing that because i had that and it and in like 15 seconds, I was like, whoa, I'm going to mess this up. Like, it was like, you know, a very powerful uh, material removing system, but you need to be really precise with it. And I was like, I only have one piece of walnut that I got from Rocker in order to do it. So I, I, uh, I, <laughs> Rob, after all this time, you only got one piece. I got one piece. I did cut it in half. So I had another fallback. But there you I was go. like, okay, good. Nervous that, sure, sure. That I, I was nervous that like in some other way I would do, you know, like, oh, I cut too deep or I snapped it in half or whatever. So anyway, mm-hmm. I um I got a palm gouge, which is like a a wood carving tool that sort of has a very stubby handle and is sort of like like a little spoon in of itself, like a little scoop. And that was mm-hmm. awesome. I had read that walnut was really good for beginning woodworkers. Like it's like friendly, not super hard. Um, no, I didn't know that. It cuts really nicely and it does. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Like it was like, it was like, like butter you know but like in a nice woody hardwood kind of way unlike maple which is just Mm -hmm. so the only time i've ever used maple i was just like stunned at like how how my tools that were always so proficient when cutting pine and plywood (laughs) became a lot less proficient when cutting maple but anyway so that was my big project really over the past two weeks was to try to get this spoon uh together and I, i worked out good and i made a video of it for him because he's he's a crafty makery person and so I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to make a video of the making of the spoon for him in order so he can sort of see. So it's not just handmade, yeah. but it's like you can see how it was made. So, but yeah, oh, that's that, awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I was just looking. I was trying to remember the name of this thing. Um, that's It's sort of shaped like a question mark that is used specifically yes. for carving out those bowls. Yes. Uh, do you know what the name is? It's a funny name. I don't. And the I, Scorp. <laughs> it scorp should be called that. I, I, I... <laughs> Uh, they had one of those at Rocker, but it was quite expensive. And I was like, I don't sure. even know if that's the thing I need, you know? Mm-hmm. So I got the little hand carving toolkit, like the four piece mm-hmm. toolkit for $40. Uh, and was like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this first and see what happens. I've got a couple of things like that, like your gouges rolling around from grandparents that I should yeah. try to sharpen and get back to you. My, uh, my grandfather, uh, who, you know, died uh, many years ago uh-huh. at this point, but he, um, his big thing was balsa 
airplanes. And so he would just sit there and really, really carefully carve. You know, these wouldn't be like hollow wings. It would actually be the wing would be fully carved out to have a really complex shape. Um, And then he'd, you know, just like throw them around in the backyard. They'd stay up for a whole minute or whatever. Um, Wow, that's neat. But yeah, it is. And and that's sort of, that's definitely one thing I've been thinking a lot about with doing some more of this handwork lately is the difference uh, in satisfaction. You know, that, that idea, like, for you and I, I know it's hard for us to go, just go to the studio and sit down and start feeling the payoff. Yeah. I feel like with this, with our kind of work that we generally tend to do, the new media stuff, the payoff is almost entirely at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. the, and the working project uh, just kind of sucks yep. uh, in some ways. I don't know. Do you feel that way as well? Yes. <laughs> I think I always am so willing to take on something that I don't know how to do, you know? Oh, yeah. I move towards that stuff specifically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Right. Yep. Totally. Yeah. And so I just have like, it's like I have the inflatable swimmy fins on, you know, like around my arms to keep myself afloat. And I just like flop around trying to figure out what (laughs) what I'm doing for so long. Yeah, yeah. And then I only become proficient in like the last week before, before I wanted to be done with the thing, so... But then do you find yourself moving on because now the thrill of the chase is gone a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. See, I think, Rob, this is how you and I sow our wild oats is like chasing after new programming languages and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Because so, so that's one of the things I'm really trying to do here is, you know, we did an Opposable Thumbs project where I got like a prototype going for the CNC etching. And then I did a whole bunch of work with these great staff members at Columbia, like Megan Sterling, who's been helping me out a bunch, who I'm hoping to have on the podcast later. Oh, cool. And we go we go through, you know, like, what's the density of lines that'll return a good etch and ferric chloride, you know, this, that, and the other. So all these variables get locked down. And now I'm really trying to make myself stay with it and produce, you know, a set of, like, 25 images before I let myself get off it. I mean, I think part of it is... I, I definitely remember having art professors who were sort of mm-hmm. entrenched into their craft so deeply, you know? <laughs> so I don't want that to be me, man. Exactly, yeah, and it felt... <laughs> I'll never be like you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think part of it was because it felt... Maybe at the time it was, like, hard to understand how that's rewarding, or it felt, right like, not relevant to contemporary art practices, you know? Like, yeah, like, yeah. why is this person welding all the time? Like, why don't they, why don't they use a, a 3D printer, or why don't they weld a thing that says like, "Screw you, George Bush" or something? I don't know, you know, like, like, <laughs> like, yeah. It seemed like there was a connection between them being very invested in what they're doing and them being sort of checked out, you know, <laughs> like, yep, and mm-hmm. not really sort of engaging students. It's like it was joined together. This obsession with a single kind of approach and being mm-hmm. not super invested in teaching and where the the professors I thought were most interesting and just the people I thought were most interesting who I hung out with were just sort of always digging into something new you know yeah I mean there's a there's an artist who I just got a chance to meet a little bit in Chicago and I don't know if it's pronounced Pruce or Preus but it's I think it's John and so he's a sculptor and if you take a look at his website, he has some, you know, fairly, it's P-R-E-U-S. He, he's got some straightforward examples of here's somebody exploring what wood and screws and wood filler can do. And then there's, you know, like a series of abstracts or whatever. But then he, 
and stop me if I was talking about this before, but, but he had organized this show where um, he got a hold of like a whole warehouse full of shuttered CPS school materials in Chicago. Oh. So they were throwing out all the desks and refrigerators and lock, I mean, just everything, you know, so they, I mean, th- this was a big political thing, right? Where they closed a bunch of schools largely in poor performing districts and then still haven't really figured out what to do with all those kids, right? Except just make their day harder, basically. Uh uh (laughs) Um, But then, you know, so this stuff was getting thrown out, so John got a hold of it, and then he curated the show with a lot of artists, I think like 50 of them. And they were invited just to come through the warehouse and take whatever and then make stuff out of it. So in that case, he was curating this guy, John. And then um, one of the people he had invited was a photographer. So the photographer went around... And took one of the old, you know, like classic school desks that had the integrated desk and chair. Yeah. And was uh, putting it in different environments on a road trip and photographing it. And I, I wasn't really even that all that interested in those particular photographs. But uh-huh. then John had um, built the frames for this guy. So the guy just sent him the oh. photographs. And then he used reclaimed wood. And then he actually used the glass shelves from the refrigerator. You know, so they... You know how some of that tempered glass, sometimes it'll have little bands of um, like uh, parallel lines and stuff running around the edge of the glass? Yes, yeah. Uh, so the uh, so the glass itself, like that was the first time I'd ever seen the glass used to frame the material, even itself, was significant. Oh. Um, and it was still, you know, you could still see through it totally fine, but it just had this little accent that really caught your attention and reminded you how thoroughly reclaimed the material was. Uh, but yeah, so a guy like John, I mean, I, I don't know his work very well at all, and I want to know more, but I really dug how he just seemed to flip back and forth between conventional sculptor and, and like making other people's stuff and even making support structures for other people. And this didn't bother him, which I thought was great, because I think some people would think, you know, oh, I'm not going to slum it and make your picture frames or whatever. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. I listened to a couple podcasts and look at pe- people who are like quote unquote makers, you know, like are who mm-hmm. uh have like are like YouTube content creator kind of people, you know? And that, mm-hmm. and it's funny because they do always talk about being pulled apart sort of between like do I spend time doing custom work for people or do I make work for myself or for YouTube a YouTube audience or do I do I do right. custom work for people and make that my content on YouTube? You know, like sort of how do you mm-hmm. blend all those worlds together? I mean, it, it kind of gets to the question of what the what is the product that's interesting, right? So if we can find a way to talk about these things that's interesting, then you win. But you could also imagine just like being a brain in a jar and never actually doing anything. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. So so the I, I suppose that you and I are sort of the, the primary audience for this podcast, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, I'm really glad that other people listen to it. But um, I think, yeah, fundamentally, like I... I'm always thinking each week, you know, oh, I don't want Rob to just think I made something dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good to have peer, not peer pressure, but at least, you know, your people. Oh, I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. I just I just looked at John's website. He has some really cool, mm-hmm. I link to it in show notes. He has some really cool pieces where he takes um, like plywood and like drywall hunks, mm-hmm. like like essentially like very, what a lot of people think of as garbage and like shapes them with a, some sort of sanding system or something into these really right. cool, visually complex, like just kind of hunks that are really quite nice. Yeah, it's cool. So he shares a studio, I think, 
with Walter Katundu, who oh, we've okay. talked about in the past. Uh-huh. And Walter was the one who went through and got um, this uh, his proposal accepted. And then John was the one who made the cases for the award that Walter designed. Oh, that's cool. Um, again, an example of like just fabricating a thing that's really sort of beautiful, but totally in service of somebody else's work. Yep. yep. And so, yeah, that's the thing I keep... And we definitely have to have Walter on, so I don't want to talk too much about that, the piece that he did, which was uh, super cool. Some more on that later. But the... Um, yeah, just like I've been discussing this with a bunch of my every time an artist friend comes through town, like Matt Steinke, uh-huh. another former guest. He's he stayed with us for a day or two when he was in town recording some online classes. Um and uh trying to figure out, you know, where are all my friends at right now? What have what decisions have they made about how uh-huh. their take on the creative profession works, you know? Yeah. And so so Matt, for example, is really getting deep on, because he was living in Austin, I think he's trying to move right now, but for a number of years, he's been finding that Austin has a lot of money for public creative works. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And they're also really open to musical stuff, which is his background. And so he was really getting in a mindset, like trying to make a go at being a professional that gets, like where their primary income comes from grant opportunities and so forth. Yeah. Um, and I've been, I've been trying to write grants lately, but man, I just have a huge pile of rejections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Deborah Stratman, who you know I collaborate with occasionally, she had won something. I mm-hmm. forget what it was. Somewhat recently, and I was like, and, it, and then she won something else, and I was like, wow, you're really on a tear, Deborah. That's awesome. And she was like, well, I've been declined on this grant for ten. This is my tenth time I'm applying. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Because yeah. <laughs> you can only see. Didn't she get a three arts recently? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. I'm not sure. It's just so funny that you can only see successes, you know? Yes. And indeed. that you imagine like this person just sort of sat down for half a day and fired off this thing and then they got $10,000 or $1,000, yeah. whatever it is. But it's like, no, <laughs> that's not what happened. It just feels that way. It's just like, it just reads that way, you know? When I was at uh, Ars Electronica, you know, they they got in touch with me because I had a piece that got on social media and kind of made the rounds that way. And then every time I applied since then, I've been rejected. But then the the t- so when I act when I actively applied, I can't get it. But when I just did nothing, I got it. Wow. And then, um, but when we were there, the uh, the guy who was accepting one of the Golden Nika Awards, which is their, you know, sort of show within a show kind of thing, I think he had done something like you walked through this tunnel and there were these um, streams of water with a fair amount of pressure behind them. And then he was finding a way to conduct sound down the water stream. So when it would strike your umbrella, the umbrella would act as a resonant cavity and play the, you know, kind of play the sounds within your little space. Yeah. And so, but even during, during his acceptance speech, he was like, I can't believe I'm back here because I did, like I applied ten times in a row and never <laughs> wow and never heard anything. So he he actually made some kind of catty comment, which was pretty hilarious. Like during the you know acceptance of his award, so I guess it happens to everybody. Yeah, it's funny because I think all creative acts and maybe everything, any kind of project, the end result is such a small part of the 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 work and the thinking and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like. Like, it's easy to sort of be like, man, this person is so... So Walter Cotundo is a perfect example. Like, he is the most prolific artist I can think of. You know, like, he's just always mm-hmm. making work. And in some ways, like, even his process is 
feels like I follow him on Instagram and even his process is part of the making of his work, I think. But like um it all feels so like wow, if I just had two hours, I could I could be that awesome. <laughs> and it's like, no, yep. no, no. Yep. No, it takes about uh, 50 or 60 hours a week to, do, to be that awesome and, like, you know, managing the rest of your life in an efficient way. Well, aren't there some studies coming out about how people are getting more depressed and anxious and so on because they're comparing themselves to other people's Instagram photos? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what I've done lately that this might be like a, a New Year's Eve kind of style thing, uh, but I'm trying to do it mm-hmm. is I only look at, I follow a number of people whose work I like on like YouTube and stuff, like woodworkers or makers or whatever. And I've decided that I, I don't typically how I would watch those is like if there's like 45 minutes at the end of the day that I'm just like super brain dead on. And so I'll, um, mm-hmm. Uh, I'll look at it, but I've decided that I'm only going to look at it like while having a snack or something before I start to work as like my kind of Rocky, yeah, Rocky yeah. theme song. <laughs> um, <laughs> like re- getting pumped up, you know, it's like listening to death metal before you go out, you know, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. into the battlefield or something like, like as a way to sort of get myself pumped up. And that's been felt a lot better than sitting there and being like, okay, I, I, I didn't make that and I'm going to bed to wake up to go to work tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now that, that's been a huge struggle for me trying to, since I have this chunk of free time right now, trying to have a really articulated practice with specific hours in the day and all that. Like it's, it's so much freedom. It's kind of a, it's kind of freaky yeah. for sure. Yeah. I know certain people, Jen being one of them is very good at just like being like, I'm waking up and doing my thing. Like, and I, I really yeah. have to kind of or, yeah. orbit the task for a while before I, I get into it, which is hard. Yeah, so what's a, what are your creative plans for the coming year? Have you got some specific projects you're looking forward to I, I, getting down to? I do. This is related to our Swallow the Frog episode for 2018. Is mm-hmm. I made the sort of like um, like personal style guide kind of thing. Uh, how do I put this? So like... You know when you're like, I need to get a new toothbrush, and you just go grab a toothbrush. You know, like 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 the the sort of mindless chores or tasks or errands that you have to run. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to see how can I catch myself before making those decisions to, and also at the same time not overthink it, which is going to be impossible. But I'm going to try, and <laughs> and like see if I can integrate creative think decision making uh into uh sort of the microtransactions of my day and i don't know exactly how that will manifest like if i have to go like get deodorant does that mean like i buy the red deodorant because it's in my color palette (laughs) or or (laughs) or do do i remove the label and like make my own label for it for some reason and you know call it like my super glitter power yeah, what if you rebranded every single object you brought into your home? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. That's so much work, man. That's an Ooh. interesting idea though, for sure. <laughs> like like it would be so much work. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know if I could do it f- for all the objects and stuff I currently have, but maybe maybe as something coming in, you know. Maybe well, like what, inbound. So are stuff. you specifically interested when you're participating in commerce or is it just all of the little 
things that you don't think critically about. So much of capitalism is about feeling busy, you know, like, like if you're busy, you're going to, the way you're going to, I mean, a lot of people spend money in order to buy time, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's convenience or whatever. And so part of it is that. And I think part of it is if I'm going to go, um, uh, to the store or do whatever, like, how can I make that as interesting it's sort of that like creativity in everyday life kind of stuff, you know. Um, Have you seen um, the project? This is like a way old internet project, but one one red paper clip. Is that the where the person keeps trying to get something bigger from it, or is that a different thing? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so he he started with a red paper clip and then traded it for a house after a whole bunch of trades back and forth. Wow, that that is cool. I mean. <laughs> It seems, I remember hearing about it. I didn't learn, I didn't look at it, but I heard about it. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, oh, a bunch of people are going to be like, well, that's how capitalism works is you keep, just keep exploiting the next person. <laughs> like it felt weird right? Yeah, uh, in that kind of way. <laughs> well, clearly not everybody can do it. I mean, that project only works essentially once for one person. And yeah. That's it. Yeah. But, um. I don't know. Did you did you think other people were, would have been exploited? Because arguably, as he's making the trades, he's always getting more value. But I think he, I'm assuming that all the people that participated were, you know, with open eyes and and didn't feel like they were at a loss when they were right. Right. That's sort of like the invisible hand of capitalism's, like a soft fuzzy glove. Like, oh, you don't <laughs> your your perceived value is is different than my perceived value. So you both feel like you're getting the upside, you know, which mm-hmm, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's partially true. Every, everybody wins, Rob. Yeah. Everybody, everybody wins. wins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, um, it's been a long time since I thought about it. So I'd have to take another look at it with my, with my current brain. I mean, I, I feel like it addresses some of the stuff you're talking about with the pressures of, I, I would think about this as conceptual art. Uh-huh, yeah. And I, I right. think he does style it as art. But then it's also documented. It's documented in a book, but then it's documented in this blog. And he did a TED Talk, of course. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, although I think it took place some time ago. But uh, I think, you know, is the work... Like, is its online presence the work? Is it just sort of a perfect vehicle for the constant churn of content? that one needs to sustain that sort of serially dripped out material that comes from a web project like uh-huh, that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of web projects suffer from that a little bit when it just starts to get into productionism, which loops back into the capitalism you're talking about. Wow. Oh, I, man, his, he should trade a paperclip for a new website. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's really rough. Oh, I see. Wait. One no. of the best descriptions yeah. I ever heard. You know that thing that we were all doing in the 90s where when somebody burned somebody really bad, you'd put your hand up to your face and kind of hunch over and walk around in a circle? You know what I'm talking yes. about? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I read somewhere someone described it as hunchback about to sneeze and like trying to prevent <laughs> himself from seizing. So that's totally it. It Damn. is it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, there's a QR code. Oh, there's the oh yeah, there's the flash. Click below to check out the slideshow. Have you thought any more about our uh, sister podcast where we diss people's websites? 
It looks like we're looks like it's it's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Kyle McDonald certainly is much more of a household name than I am, so I should I should just shut up. <laughs> well, that brings up another question though that I have for this year, uh-huh. which is how do you decide who your audience is and why you care Ooh, yeah. that they care? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Do you want to be Kyle McDonald rep? It's hard, right? It's hard. I mean, even when we, I think about uh-huh. like who, who would I want to hear this podcast who isn't, right. you know, I can think of a million people who I'm like, oh, I wish they knew about it. I mean, I think it would be nice for people who partially do or think like I do. I think they would be interested, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, but then there's like people who I wish heard it because they maybe aren't like me or maybe they're like pretty young and they don't, they like, like doing interesting stuff but they don't sort of know where that energy could be put or something would i want to be like known as like a sort of um like a like a like a maury povich is known (laughs) you know or like a real real housewives (laughs) of hollywood or something is known like i don't really i don't really care about that stuff you know it is an easy way to crunch up i mean yeah it's 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 sort of like we we talk about that without thinking oh well everyone knows this project yeah and that's somehow yeah has this value and it's i think we have to always fight i mean because if if that's the only way that you can get value yeah then it's this one in a million chance and then what what do you do when you're waiting for that to drop you yeah know? yeah you know you know you know nick offerman the the um the actor actor slash woodworker yes yeah, yeah. i mean i i think he's someone i i sort of have thought about recently as someone who plays both sides kind of effectively like mm-hmm. he's he's a, he's a known actor and a lot of people know him for being an actor but he also has a wood shop and also um has a kind of does some work with a nonprofit attached to woodworking mm-hmm. that i think is really cool and so he's able to sort of um use use his the opportunities he's created for himself and been given through like acting in Hollywood and stuff and sort right. of yeah. uh, effectively sort of funnels that viewership and interest into other things, um, uh-huh. which seems like a healthy way to live, you know, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, for sure. And also like it, it makes you also just so not so, I mean, I think even, a lot of acting and music and stuff is very fleeting, right? Like if you make a living at it, maybe it's only for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it would be very smart to to try to carve off your own group of people who are interested in what you're doing from that, as opposed to just sort of being like, well, I've got to be in this other movie I don't care about in order to make a living or whatever. It seems like a good approach, you know, to sort of using that. Um, I mean, art, artists, I think, run into this when they have like a big show, you know, like how quickly you go from having a big show to just going back to what you're normally doing is pretty fast. Yeah. Um, for sure. And I think a lot of artists, myself included, are weirded out about artists that do big shows. But in a way, like if you're like, well, I got a show at the MCA or Mass Boca or whatever it is, like maybe that show, the point of that show is that it's a, a, a billboard or like it's, that's too blunt of a word, but like, a way for people to know about who you a way for just the your what you do to be seen by more people you know 
I think that that's the big difference is if you're going to a meetup where you're meeting fellow practitioners, Yeah, I think that that is different than just the, the raw list of the number of eyeballs you got on your thing. Yes, right. And that right. that's really what, I, what I've been trying to think through is like, and sometimes I think of the audience that I'm trying to work towards is really just like fellow artists. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm getting less, because I, and and it's not that, I think that art often gets critiqued with a sort of elitism and that, in in some cases, you have fellow artists as your audience because they're the only ones getting the obscure art historical references. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I think, but I think I'm really interested mostly in finding other collaborators so yeah. that we can make stuff together. Yeah, yeah. And then ultimately, once the thing is made, I mean, yeah, the audience is gravy on the backside of that, but the real audience was in the process of doing the thing, yeah. which is how I think about this podcast for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I that's a good point. And I think... Even like what feels like um, it's like, oh, someone has is doing a solo show at uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art or whatever. Like that's actually a pretty mm-hmm. small audience, right? <laughs> like like, mm-hmm. like it, sure. it, not within your peer group and it's certainly a way to be recognized and meet other people in your peer group and, you know, receive funding from people who have money in your peer group or whatever. But mm-hmm. like the rest of the world doesn't really care that much. You know, um, even though it feels well, and even big. if you're the world's most famous artist, how much does the rest right. of the world care? Right, right, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Think about some of the really like. Imagine being Jeff Koons or something. Yep. Oh yeah. God. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeff Koons could totally go into a Target and like buy yeah. <laughs> some underwear and leave, and no one would know who he was. Oh, thanks. For, uh, thanks for saying yeah. hello. It's it's always yeah, nice right, to meet yeah. a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think i feel like once i talked to a guy this peer and he was like oh you're the little cnc guy and wow. you know this was this project i was working on um and that that was meaningful to me but mostly because of i felt like this dude really knew a lot about the maker scene this was a. Uh, I think Dan Meyer down at the Museum of Science and Industry. But yeah, I mean, all he was saying was, yeah, I've encountered that project before. And I think of that project when I think about, uh, you know, the the wide variety of DIY CNC machines out there. And yeah, that was really satisfying. But then also, you know, what I should probably do, if he still even remembers who I am, is call him up and make something with him. I'm a collaboration addict, man. I just <laughs> I find working by myself so boring. And plus, I, other people know how to do cool stuff, you know, but yeah. I don't. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, collaborations, I have a strong propensity to resist collaborations. Part of it is I, I my work life is extremely collaborative. And so regardless of what most people think about, you know, web developers, um, that I'm just exhausted by talking to people by the time the day is done. You know, like, I kind of want to hole up and do work on my own. But also sure. I feel like mm-hmm. it's so easy for a project to, to go sideways when working with another person, which is just part of it. You know, yeah. it's like, Oh, this person yeah. who I thought was cool ended up being super busy or I thought I was into this project, but now I'm not. And do I just power through because I said I would do it? You know, it gets, it gets into that stuff, mm-hmm. but, um, but you're right. Like it's really very rewarding to work with another person on a project. You know? Indeed. And it's such a rare treat to be, to have a collaboration that goes well, you know, that, or like where you feel like you both can 
accelerate into your interests together on a, you know on a project without sort of feeling yeah. like i think one of the things about projects is often it's like when you first set up a project the what you don't want to do is be like okay i'm going to hold the nail and then you hammer the nail right like like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because what that means is i get hit on the finger and like we're both mad about how i hold the nail you're mad about how yeah. i hold the nail and i'm mad about you hitting me on the th- finger you know <laughs> where if and it doesn't sort of um, maximize each person's uh, skills, right? Like if one person is good at carpentry, have them do the carpentry part. And if one person is good at electronics, have them do the electronics part, you know, and find a way to join those together in a way that works. Well, right. You know, I guess for me, the thing that I've dug, well, particularly working on GitHub and then this podcast, you know, these are both ways that we can work sort of from afar. Yeah. And then I think, there's maybe not as much with the podcast, but you could certainly do it without me and vice versa, although you do do all the editing. <laughs> uh, and so I think that, that, yeah, there can be some good collaborative models where mostly what the addition of the other person does, it's like now there's two people with hammers and nails. Yes. As opposed to, yeah. And yep. then if, if one comes or goes or whatever, it's still it's still feasible. Yep. Let's see. Oh, did you have anything else? Uh, let's see here. Oh, only just that one of my, so, uh, we're in this house, right? That was new, but uh-huh. no one lived in it for 12 years. Yeah. And so one of the things I've been learning about a lot over the last couple of months is how sewers work. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm in this really interesting spot right now where like in this house, they put the clean out behind the finished wall. So the only reason we could, we found oh. it is because there was a leak in our foundation. So we yanked off a bunch of drywall and then found the clean out. And then now it looks like the city installed the pipes incorrectly. So I have to convince the city oh, no. to come out and verify it's their problem before they'll even think about fixing it. Um, and I think to do this, I'm going to have to go yell at my alderman tomorrow. Yes. Which is a, a very new, it's a very Chicago thing. It is. Um, and it will be, it will be new territory for me. So that's going to be my big, um, my big kind of offline challenge. Do you know where the week. alderman's office is in your neighborhood? I think so. Yeah. I just, I just looked him up. Um, it's going to be interesting too, because I think there's a lot of tension right now. I live north of Logan Square. Uh-huh. <laughs> And so just across the intersection from where there's been a lot of gentrification. And so yeah. I get the impression that there's a lot of pressure on the alderman's office, both from real estate developers and from longtime community members. Yep. Yep. And so if I roll in, like I have to just, I have to handle it carefully because um, I don't know how much they're going to want to help out who could be perceived, me who could be perceived as a gentrifier. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I mean, I've already got the house and I'm trying to make sure I don't uh, squirt my pool over the neighborhood. So uh-huh. it seems like everybody should have a civic interest <laughs> in that. So, so we'll see. I was trying to get permits or something mm-hmm. in Los Angeles and something was going down. I forget what it was. And it was funny, like they, and there was some problem. And so I was trying to have a sort of not altercation style meeting with someone about these permits or whatever. And and they were like, well, you know, they're like, they're like, well, you know, yeah, you're you're the you're the single homeowner, you know, trying to make your property nicer. Like, it's our job mm-hmm. to support you. And I was just like, 
And they sort of said uh. it in this way, like, you're not like a, you're not a developer, like you're not a commercial uh, yes. interest, you know, mm-hmm. you're just Joe Schmo who's trying to do his thing. Right. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Joe Schmo. <laughs> Like, <laughs> like, which was just kind of weird. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe I am Joe Schmo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, well, yeah, because before I bought this place, it was just sitting there doing nothing. It was just empty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. Well, I'm going to take that attitude with me to the alderman's office. Yeah. And like, see if this if this town is corrupt as I've been told. Yeah. You're 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 Taylor taxpayer. Taylor. <laughs> That's the tattoo, man. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. So I will I will update on that process. But man, I've I've learned more so far than I would care to know about such things. Yeah, yeah. And you, that. anything? Any sign offs on your end, Rob? What do I got going on? Oh yeah, I have. Um, so uh, in uh, the last, let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, not the most recent. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I'm trying to find the right episode. In um, lo-fi space exploration, mm. no time-based improvisation. <laughs> I have to get so in time-based improvisation, mm. I uh, use the software to find radio to make a sound piece, mm-hmm. and that sound piece is going to be played on another podcast that I'm, I've mentioned here before called One Electronic Sound for Five Minutes. Nice that Neil Jinnan does. He would be a cool guest, so maybe I should talk to him about that. Um, so did did he hear that episode, or did uh, what was the? How did this get on that podcast? I forget. He I had posted opposable thumb somewhere like on Facebook or something, and he mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, I have a podcast," and didn't really say that much about it. And I checked it. Out, I was like, "Man, this podcast is amazing." Um, it's called One Electronic Sound for Five Minutes, and uh, right. it's sort of. And so then I was when I made that piece, I was like, "I'm going to make it five minutes long." Just to see, because mm-hmm. it kind of fits in that realm. I was like, oh, I could Crazy just re-edit like it or fox. whatever. Yeah, and uh, and I asked him. I was like, hey, would this if this doesn't fit your format or whatever? That's totally fine. It's no no big deal. But I did make it, and if you are interested in it and whatever, and he was like, yeah, that would be great. And he he this was back in November, and he he was like, well, I'm not. I'm having no dude Vember, <laughs> which is all women <laughs> all women guests uh, in November, yeah. which is cool. Um, so he's like, you know, I need to figure out when I can fit you in or whatever. And then he's like, oh, I can do it for January 1st. So it, it came out today. Uh, so I'll link to that in show notes. And his podcast is the Excellent. best. Like, I have a fantasy of of uh, an ecosystem of very short, very weird, randomly bizarre podcasts that could just, like, fill your podcast feed up with, like, weird stuff. And all of that was sort of, I think about that every day. And that was all prompted by him just doing this thing that isn't two hours long. It isn't, you know an interview it's not a conversation it's not whatever it's just this weird burst of sound for five minutes oh so he doesn't talk at all on this piece no there's like a very very short outro Mm. that's maybe 15 seconds long at the most and that's it wow yeah efficient yeah yeah it's cool because it 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 does sort of it's almost like a single song as a podcast or something and then Mm -hmm. but you're like man if there was a bunch of those that were just all various things it would be such a fun listening experience you know um, so anyway, we'd like to give Nick Kantar and Adam Van Essen a shout out as our top Patreon supporters. Thank you, Nick and Adam. If you'd like to join them in the league of Patreon supported badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us. 
Uh, our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Taylor, we have survived 2017. We did it. We did Everybody it. did it. Everybody Most did it. Most people did it. Yeah. All the list people listening, uh, at least, mostly did it. What will become of the uh, the orange golem in oh, the coming gosh. year? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Do you have any predictions you want to lay out? Uh, oh. Miller I, predictions? I predict, I hate to say this, but I'm, I'm a pessimist. I predict it. it will be less. I predict he will be sadly more effective than I want him to be. Well, you mean so you can't just completely dismiss the presidency? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think how our power structures are set up is he will like a lot you get a like that position in in all power holds their power by every by by default, right? Like mm-hmm. And then if there isn't just this massive effort to push the train off the track, the train will just stay on the track. And that, that I think I'm worried about that. Elections aren't won solely because the other person is a, is a giant creep, right? Like you yeah. have to have a good, strong candidate that people are excited about. Sure. Mm-hmm. And the, where are those people, you know? Like There's some coming up. Like there's a, is it Donica or Danica? Rome, I believe, R O E M, yeah, who um, had this just totally amazing statement. When, uh, and for those that don't know, she's a. Uh, I I always kind of roll my eyes about the first this or first that, but she is a you know a, a transgender yep. um, woman who won, and it, you know, I forget at what level of government. Do you recall? Uh, let's was, see. Uh, I just looked it up. House of Delegate, Virginia House of Delegates. So it was something like your competitor ran on not allowing you to use the bathroom or whatever it is. You yeah. know? So what what do you what have you got to say to him or something like that? And she basically said, "Well, you know, now that I won, he's one of my constituents, and I'd never speak ill of one of my constituents." Wow! <laughs> wow. Oh man, it was so great. I mean, because even there is a minor burn in there too. Like, yeah. sorry, sick, dude. Yep. Sick burn. <laughs> you know, I won that one, but so classy at the same time. All right, dude. Yeah, that was great. It was it was fun to have a, an episode, uh, just like the the super chill episode on on uh, yeah. January first, no doubt. And um, yeah, I'm excited about the project for this one. I gotta I gotta get to it tomorrow down at the shop. Yeah, click training. I haven't thought anything about it, and now I now I have to. You got your own little 99% invisible going I on. I do. Right now. I do. <laughs>